Uh, we are in this series on the Psalms, and it has uh, been an amazing, for me personally, uh, just an amazing time to sort of reflect again on these ancient prayers, these ancient songs. Uh, I have a confessional to make. As we were singing, I realized that later tonight, I get to go to a U2 concert. And I just got like emotional and really excited. And hopefully they sing Psalm 40. I waited patiently. I just can't wait to sing with tens of thousands of people in the Rose Bowl this evening. So, um, you know, if I seem a little distracted, I might just be thinking about you two later. But uh, this is Psalm 32. And when you think about words that inspire you and words that excite you, um, my guess is these words don't come to your mind. Uh, Admission of fault, offering an apology, confession of wrongdoing, penitence. How many of you are like, yeah, tell us more, Pastor, tell us more. Those really sound like exciting ideas. Um, If you're like me, you read these and it feels a little bit heavy like admission of fault, I feel like I have to go into a whole different realm of like being in order to get to that place. Offering an apology, man, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to muster up like so much courage to just say to somebody, I'm sorry. And if I focus on that, even though I know it's the right thing, it can be hard for me to get, um, you know, energized toward it. Are you with me at all? But uh, look at this other list of words. What about these things? How many of you want to live with a free spirit? How many of you want to live with a liberated soul? Oh, yeah. How many of you want to have a clear mind? What about a light heart, a freed heart? Yeah, I want all those things. And what the psalmist is going to reveal in Psalm 32 is the path to freedom, the path to clarity, The path to right relationship with God. The path to a liberated soul. One that is free. One that ends in song and praise and worship. One that just makes you want to like jump off a stage into a group of guys. You'll catch me right if I do it. uh, Is confession. That this is the tool. This is the path. This is the way. So Psalm 32. I'm going to read the whole thing through. And then we'll come back and... um, hit each section. We ask uh, that you bring your Bible to this gathering of the people of God uh, because we think it's important for you to jot notes and um, question things and so that you can later reference it, maybe later in the week, but also a year from now or five years from now, and you can see where God was working in your life. So if you don't have one in front of you or you didn't bring your own, I want to encourage you to just grab one in the pew and uh, right there in front of you, there should be a Bible, okay? Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, and through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, And my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. 
and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. but The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse one here. Uh, This is actually kind of like verse two because you read in your Bible, it says Psalm 32 of David, a mascal. And we all know what a mascal is, right? No, there's a lot of confusion about what a mascal is. Uh, I don't know if you see that little subscript, but in the Hebrew Bible, this would have actually been read. This was sort of like verse one. And a mascal, uh, as best as we can discern, comes from the Hebrew word saskal, which means to teach, to instruct. And so this is a teaching psalm. David wants to show us something. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal something to us, I think even this morning, about what it looks like to live liberated. Notice what he says in verse one. Blessed is he, or my uncle who used to teach Hebrew would say, this could be translated, oh, the happiness of the person. Oh, the joy, oh, the freedom, oh, the, the, the life that comes to the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person, oh, the happiness of the person whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. These first two verses, David wants to pick, picture for us a person who's free, the person living the good life. And he says, you know, the good life comes, the free life, the, the liberated soul happens when, when we experience forgiveness of sin. When we live without uh, accounts being held against us. There's a freedom and a joy and a life that that brings. Verse three, he says, when I kept silent, now silence is the opposite of confession. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The psalmist says that silence or or not acknowledging our, our fault or our wrongdoing, not acknowledging it is exhausting. I don't know if anybody here has ever walked through depression or anxiety. In my early 20s, I walked through something that I, it had to be something like that. And, and I remember reading this psalm, and I remember it felt, I remember when I got to the part where it said, my bones wasted away, and it felt like your hand, God, your hand was heavy on me. Inside, there was all this stuff happening, and, 
and I didn't know where to go with it. And it felt like I was in the heat of summer. My soul was being sapped. Have you ever had that? You just Maybe you're stressed. There's a level of anxiety. and just feel like the energy is being sucked out of you like a Dementor on Harry Potter, right? There's just this thing like sucking the life out of you and you wake up and it's like heavy. The psalmist says when he kept silent, when he was silent, when he didn't acknowledge that, when he didn't name that, he experienced all of this like the opposite of what he talked about in verse one and two. And um, I love what this one uh, psychologist, writer, speaker, author said. Her name is Brene Brown. And I've talked about her before. Uh, some of you might have read a book uh, or some books that she's written. One was called um, Daring Greatly, which is I can't recommend it enough if you're interested in this kind of thing. Um, but she said this, if you trade your authenticity, which is another way of saying your, uh, your, your honesty, uh, authenticity, you are the same on the inside as you are on the outside. If you trade that, you may experience the following. And tell me how many of you want more of these things in your life. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, and inexplicable grief. Anybody? If we trade the truth, if we trade the reality of who we are, of what we've experienced, if we trade the truth for safety. I was thinking, why do we stay silent? The psalmist says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I thought, David, why did you keep silent? And then I came across this quote, and I think it really answered the question well. This is from, some of you maybe have read a book by Shauna Nequist. There's one I know, I think um, somebody on our staff was reading one called Present Over Perfect. The idea of just being in the moment versus trying to be a perfect person. Um, but I was thinking, why do we stay silent? David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Why do we stay silent? Why don't I speak about my pain? Why don't I speak about my shame? Why don't I speak about my guilt? Why don't I share? Why don't I talk about these things? And this is what she says. What kills a soul? Exhaustion. And then this word, secret keeping and image management. Amen? And what brings a soul back from the dead? She says, honesty, connection, grace. What kills a soul when you and I remain silent? When we try to manage our image? Some of us grew up in a culture of suck it up. Anybody? Just suck it up. Um, Suck it up is great when you're exercising. Amen? Because, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but um, like five minutes on the elliptical, my neighbor gave me an elliptical. First of all, it's super awkward. I don't know how to do it. It's like, am I walking? Am I running? I don't know what I'm doing. But five minutes and I'm done. And I'm like, my, I'm starting to get hot. I feel yucky. You know, my body's like screaming at me, what are you doing to us? And here is where suck it up is a good thing, right? Suck it up, Nick. You got 25 more minutes to go, okay? When you're exercising, anybody run a marathon? Where's the marathoners at? 
Jody, you ran a marathon. Yeah, okay. Jody, thank you for being so honest. We're facing reality, and you're like, I'm not raising my hand. Okay. Um, what mile did you want to quit at? Or did you quit? Did, wait, are you the one that didn't, did you finish? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, you finish. Um, what mile did you want to quit at? And how many miles is a marathon? 26.2. She wanted to quit at mile 16 or 17. Um, everyone I talk to that's run a marathon, which I have not, nor do I have any intention of uh, doing anytime soon, uh, they say that around like mile 20 or 16, you just, your body, your body finishes. Your body's like, yeah, we're done. We're going to go take a nap. And if you want to go, you have to suck it up, right? Suck it up, buttercup, and you got to keep running. And for 10 miles, you tell your legs, you move, I don't care if you're tired. You keep moving. It's great for exercise. There's this like marine uh, mantra, the 40% rule. In the Marines, they say, most people stop at 40% of what they're capable of doing. We stop at 40%. There's like another 60%. And that's in the Marines why they're always yelling at you is because they're trying to pull that out of you, what's actually physically possible. Great for physical exercise. Very, very bad for spiritual growth. Like the worst thing for spiritual growth. Suck it up is very, very bad advice for people emotionally. Suck it up. Some of us maybe even hear it. If you reflect, I was talking with a friend recently who was reflecting on his childhood and some of the stuff he's now facing as an adult, some of the challenges he has. And he said, I realize that so many times I'm just trying to push through. Push through is great when you're pouring concrete, but it's really, really bad when you're trying to free your soul. You with me, friends? Push through is terrible advice in your relationship with God. Suck it up. It just won't get you the life that you long for in Christ. Suck it up is awesome if you're bench pressing, but bad when you feel like life is suffocating you. This is what the psalmist is saying. Don't suck it up. When I sucked it up, my bones wasted away. When I sucked it up, your hand was heavy on me. When I sucked it up, it was like, it was like the, the heat of summer. By the way, summer came way too fast, didn't it, this year? Yesterday was 95. I went outside. I was like, no, thank you. My, my strength got zapped when I walked outdoors. Just gone. Usually I'm just, right? Uh, the psalmist says, suck it up. When I tried to suck it up, my soul was like squeezed. Are you with me? Years ago, <laughs> years ago, Julie and I were visiting a, um, <laughs> sorry, it's such a funny image. We were visiting a, our brother and sister-in-law in Visalia, and they lived on a, a, a plot of land on this cherry farm. It was an awesome little space that this couple who cared for Christian school teachers just let them live in for free. And so it was really great. And there was another Christian school teacher family that lived across the, the way from them. And they had a little son. And this guy, uh, his name was Harper. 
he came up one time we were playing games around the table, and one afternoon he ran up, and um, he didn't have any pants on, which was already funny, but he did have a shirt on, so he looked like Porky Pig, okay? So he runs up, and he's like three years old, and all around his mouth is like dirt, okay? Just, it's everywhere. And we said, Harper, have you been eating dirt? Which was very obviously the most, uh, you know, he'd very clearly been eating handfuls of dirt, which you do when you're three. Harper, have you been eating dirt? You know what he said? This, is, this image is forever burned in my mind. <laughs> Harper, have you been eating dirt? It was so obvious that Harper had been eating dirt. It's all over his face. But there's this inclination that if I hide, if I remain silent, somehow uh, I will be safe. Right? We all have dirt on our face, friends. I got dirt on my face. Come on, say it. You got dirt on your face? Challenges, struggles, sin, brokenness, pieces of you that like are still, uh, you're tr still trying to figure out how they fit into, into life. Uh, this is what David says in verse five. Then I acknowledged my sin. <laughs> then I said, I do have dirt on my face and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Ah, oh, what an incredibly exciting thing to think about. I was talking with a friend recently who said that she had been at a funeral. And as part of the funeral, somebody was doing what we often do, which is we remember the person who died and we honor them. We honor their legacy. She said that there were people who got up and shared about the good things that this person offered, uh, the good things that they did, their kindness, their generosity, the fact that they were a servant. And yet, in their last years of life, this person was really, really sick, struggled with addiction, ended up living on the street was completely alienated from family. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, over the last few months, it got even kind of uglier at times with the family and died at a really, really terrible time. Died leaving a legacy of pain and a wake of destruction. And at the funeral, people kept talking about how they were gracious and how they were generous. And finally, my friend recounted that one person got up and said, I worked with this person for years and I can attest to all those good things. But the person that we're burying today was very, very sick. They were very ill. They struggled with addiction 
And I don't know the exact words, but essentially in their path is a wake of destruction. And it's important that we name that. Because if there's anybody here who is in the midst of that, we want to invite them into a living relationship with the God of the universe. We want to invite that, those of you who maybe find yourself there into a relationship with God through Jesus. And she said that the sense of the thing for her became more real. Suddenly that funeral became more real. Max Dupree, some of you maybe, uh, Julie, you're from Zealand. Anybody else from Zealand, Michigan? He ran a company called Herman Miller. And he said this, the first responsibility of a leader is to name reality. I would say, as followers of Jesus, the first responsibility for spiritual growth that you and I have is to name our reality. David says, I acknowledged my sin. The word acknowledge is the Hebrew word yada, which means a number of things. It means to make known. I made known my sin. It also means to throw. I like the image of David throwing his sin at the Lord and saying, here it is, God. Here it is. This is the struggle. This is the pain. This is the woe inside me. This is the thing that I'm wrestling with. This is my uncertainty. Here's my hypocrisy. Earlier this week, I shared uh, on, I think it was Facebook, that one of my hopes and goals for Nick Intout is I want to be the most thankful person in the world. I want to be the most thankful person alive. And I have some practices in my life that, I, that I'm really proud of, that I participate in. I wake up in the morning and I write at my computer the things from the day before that I'm thankful of for. And that list sometimes is five things, sometimes it's 10 things, sometimes it's 15 things that I just say, God, I am so thankful for this and this and this and this. And that starts my day off pretty well sometimes. You know what happens right after that? My kid might wake up at like way too early in the morning. And my first thing that I do is, oh crap, I just wanted some alone time. Or something on me is achy. And I'm like, God, I am so sick of this thing being achy. And I don't think the most thankful person in the world would complain about all those things. So here is the reality in my life. Though I want to grow in Christ and be thankful and receive everything that comes as a gift, the reality is my starter doesn't always work. And my reaction, unlike Andres who prayed and waited for an angel to come, my reaction is to say, why now? Why me? I acknowledged my sin before the Lord, David says, and you forgave my guilt. 
Therefore, verse six, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. Uh, when I read this, I wonder about who the godly are. You ever wonder that? You read it and you say, who are the godly? Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you. And here's who I don't think the godly are. The church-going um, people who never lie, steal, cheat, drink, smoke, or, uh, or that, okay? That's not who I think the godly are that David's talking about. Because guess what? He sure don't fit that mold. I think the godly for David are those who have thrown their lot, they've thrown their sin, they've thrown their life at God and said, hey, I tried it my way and I made a mess of it. (laughs) And I need you. And they throw their life into his hands. Today. Not they did it 10 years ago. Not they did it 20 years ago. Today. They threw their life into God's hands. Today is the day that they faced reality and said, today, Lord, I need you, and so I throw my life into your hands again. Guess what? When you name reality, when you name where you are today, something beautiful and amazing happens. There's this gift that comes to you. When you name the reality of your day, of where you are in this moment, God comes. Because God cannot... (laughs) work with us when we front. God doesn't work with us when we're managing an image because we're not living in the truth. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. Set free. How many of us want to live set free? I know I do. And David says, you got to name this reality. You got to name who you are, where you are, what you're walking through. And then, You experience this this liberation. When the water rises, you can look at it and say, I see the water rising, but it it won't overcome me. Because, verse 7, you are my hiding place, O God. You will protect me from trouble. You'll surround me with songs of deliverance. I love the idea of God as our hiding place. Isn't that rich and beautiful? Do you know God is your hiding place? Do you know his presence is is a place of comfort and security, of safety, of honesty, where you can go to and say, here's, here it is, Lord. I throw it at your feet. I love uh, the story of Corey Ten Boom. My family was involved in the Dutch resistance. My grandma's uh, brother printed newspapers that told stories of uh, what was really happening in Nazi Germany. And I love that my family stood for what was right. My family is absolutely 100% not perfect. They got dirt on their face. But in this particular way, I love that the people who came before me were a part of resisting oppressive, authoritative figures. And one of the stories that comes out of that time in the 40s is of the Ten Boom family in the Netherlands. The Ten Booms, uh, or there was a uh, Corey who wrote a book called The Hiding Place, tells the story of her father who would gather them around the table and they would have discussions as a family about what it meant to follow God. And something that happened in his life was that somebody challenged him to pray for people who were Jewish, much like Andres challenged us to pray for people who are Muslim. 
people that we maybe don't understand completely and maybe even have some fear about. And Mr. Tenboom started praying for his Jewish neighbors. And as the war kind of broke out and news went out about what was happening to Jewish families, the Tenbooms decided as a family that they were going to resist this movement. And so they would hide people in their home. They built this area where Jewish kids, families could come and find refuge. I love this image and this picture of God like our hiding place. A place that, that in the storm we can run and find comfort and security. And I, I wondered about kids who maybe at this time where there was things and posters written about their race, about their family, about maybe they even heard stories of things that had happened to relatives in other countries. I wondered what kind of security they found within the Ten Boom home. God is our hiding place. He creates this safe space where we can go and be seen, where we can go and acknowledge, where we can go with our struggle, where we can go with our pain. I loved what Pastor Scott said a couple weeks ago, that unless you take the car down to, I forget what the process was called, unless you take it down all the way to the metal, that paint job that you put on top, it just won't take. And he encouraged us to, to like when we root out a, a cavity or need to get a filling, that we go down and we honestly look at our lives. We honestly take stock of where we are. And we do that in the presence of a God who says, hey, I got you. There's nothing I haven't heard. There's nothing I haven't paid for. There's nothing that can separate us. There's nothing that can get between us. Why don't you just name the thing that you feel like is between us right now? Just name it. Bring it to me. Hand it to me. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit saying, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Don't be like a donkey, David says. <laughs> Don't be like a mule. There was a hilarious YouTube clip that I saw in preparation for this of this guy trying to move a mule from here to there. And he was pushing and pulling with all his might to try to move this stubborn mule. A mule, by the way, sidebar, is a cross between a donkey and a horse. That's what a mule is, and they're strong. Mules can suck it up and go. But when a mule doesn't want to move... Good luck. David says, don't be a mule. Don't just suck it up and keep going. Don't just push through. Don't just try it on your own strength. Don't just keep on going. I literally wore a, a shirt back in the day that said, keep on trucking. And David says, it's like the worst advice you could give 
for somebody's spiritual life, for their walk with God. Don't just keep on trucking. Keep on acknowledging. Keep on naming. Keep on being real with God about where you are. And you'll hear. You'll hear from him. And when you do, verse 11 says this, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Upright in heart just means honest. That's all it means. Sing, those of you who are honest about your heart. Sing, those of you who can come to God and say, here is where I am today. Lord, I need you. Oh, the blessing David says, of those whose sins have been forgiven. Oh, the blessing of those whose transgressions are not counted against them. Oh, the blessing of those who have experienced the liberation that comes from throwing our junk to Jesus Christ, inviting him to carry it for us. I want to give you a gift this morning. Uh, Invite the worship team up. And the gift is just a time to pause. I'd like you to think of one place in your life right now, a relationship, maybe it's in your work, maybe it's in your schedule, that your schedule's just like sucking the life out of you. Maybe it's in something that you just feel really worried about. Guess what? Worry is sin, friends. Bad news, worry is sin. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry, I don't want to make you feel guilty right now, but worry may be the thing that you throw at God's feet this morning. And I want to give you a moment just to think of that one place, that one area in your life where you would like some freedom, where you would like maybe some change or growth. So think about something. Is it personal? Is it relational? Is it economical? Um, One request Uh, something, an area that you would like to see some growth or change in yourself. This past week, I had the opportunity, I'm sorry, it was a couple weeks ago, somebody created a space in their life for me to sit with them and began our time by saying, I want you to know that this is going to be completely confidential. Boy, would that create a lot of uh, security and safety. That's this morning the space I want you to experience. And in your notes, you have a little, um, some space in your notes uh, on your sheet that was handed out at the beginning. Maybe you write it in there. Maybe you have your Bible and your journal with you. Um, Maybe you just want to sit and reflect. But we're going to sing this psalm together. As we sing, I want to invite you to just let your imagination kind of run wild. Where is a space in your life that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to trust him. Where is the space that God is inviting you to name this reality? Maybe that you've been avoiding. Maybe that you've been afraid to call out because you think it's wrong to name the truth. A frustration with somebody that you've been carrying. A worry that you've been carrying that you feel like it's unspiritual to name it. Maybe it's an addiction. Some space in your life that you would love uh, liberation and freedom that you would throw at God's feet and say, Lord, this place, would you come? Would you offer healing? Would you offer release? Would you offer forgiveness of of this place 
in my life. As the worship team is leading us in the singing of Psalm 32, I want to invite you to just let the Holy Spirit work in you, in your mind, in your heart. If you want to close your eyes and just kind of pray silently, you can do that and let the song of deliverance flow over you. Uh, If you'd like to sing along, I want to welcome you to do that as well. So just take this space and this gift and this time to just reflect.